0: We're in a study in the book of Acts, the story of the early church, the Acts of the Apostles. We're in chapter 4. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, it's page 911. We're going to walk through chapter 4 together here in just a little bit. But I have to back up a bit because we are in the middle of a story. And if you haven't been here the last week or two, the last couple of times we've shared together, you haven't seen this whole story. But the story of Acts, the book of Acts, is really about transformation and change. Transformation and change. At the beginning of the story, Jesus is still around after his resurrection. That's at the very beginning of Acts. And then he ascends into heaven. He gives instructions to his disciples. He ascends into heaven and is gone. And in just a few days after that, about 10 days after that, the Holy Spirit comes on the scene and begins to empower the believers and empower the early church. And they begin to be transformed. And today, the story that we're going to look at today of Peter and John, really we see the, the entire completion now of Peter's transformation. Peter, if you remember just two months before this time was following Jesus, behind Jesus as his trial before his crucifixion was happening. And Peter denies Jesus three times. And it's just a few days, just a couple of months after that, that this story takes place here in Acts chapter 4. And Peter now is not known for his timidness. Peter is not going to be known today in chapter 4 for what he for what he denies, for what he walks away from, but instead, Peter is going to be known today for his boldness. Boldness will be the word that comes up several times here in chapter four, talking about Peter and John, and not just Peter and John, but the entire church, the entire early church, all of the believers will be called bold by the time we get done with chapter four here today. And so we want to look at this story in chapter four, but before you understand chapter four, you have to remember what happened in chapter three. And so as you're looking through your Bible, I'm not going to review it all, but if you're looking through your Bible, you see that chapter three is the story of Peter and John going to the temple. They were headed there for their prayer time and as they walk in, there's a lame man who's there propped up against the gate. He's been brought there by his family. He's been brought there almost every day for close to 40 years. And Peter and John, they come through and instead of dropping alms, instead of dropping some money for him, they said, we don't have gold or silver, but what we do have, we'll give to you. And Peter reaches out and grabs the hand of the lame man and the man is healed instantly. His legs, which had never worked, his feet, which he had never stood on, instantly he becomes healed. He leaps up the Bible tells us, and he stands there and then he begins to jump for joy and everyone around is amazed. And so Peter then begins to tell the story of, of how did this happen? What does this mean? And Peter says, it's through the name of Jesus. And as the teachers begin to gather around there, there on the temple courts, he says, you killed him, you crucified him, but it's by his name that this has happened. That's really the story of chapter three. Peter preaching, healing, and then preaching, talking about how God has raised up Jesus from the dead, and it's through his name that this lame man has been healed. And so that brings us then to chapter four. Chapter four begins, chapter four begins There, as Peter finishes his message, he says in the end of chapter three, God, having raised up the servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter says, those of you, you guys who killed Jesus, you have the very first opportunity, you have the very first opportunity to receive him, to believe in his name, you that killed him. That is a picture of grace that you who were the very first ones, you have the very first opportunity to, re- to reply. And then we step into chapter four. As they were speaking to the people, Peter and John, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. All right, before we move on, I need to give you a little bit of a history lesson. So those of you that like history, you're gonna like this. Those of you that don't like history, maybe won't like it quite as much. But we have to have a picture, as we jump into this next part of the story, we have to have a picture of the ruling authorities over the Jewish people at this time. Now, the Jewish people uh, were were governed by Rome, but they had their own governance as well uh, that ruled over the Jewish people themselves. And, And they were mostly categorized into two Different groups, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we have to understand that, that these are not, the Pharisees are not Sadducees, the Sadducees are not Pharisees. They're two different groups that both work together in the same court, the Sanhedrin, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But they work together, but they're two different groups. The Pharisee group, the Pharisee group is the group that uh, they are more, the, the phrase that commentators would use is they're more uh, blue collar. They, they have risen in the ranks and have risen to their authority by showing how pious they are. They have, the, the Pharisees are, are strong at making rules. They, they understand the, the law that God has given and then they make a rule that keeps you from breaking that law and then they make another rule that keeps you from breaking that rule so that you might not break the law and they continue to make more and more rules and they, they become very good at keeping the rules to the letter, to the T. And the better they are, the better they are at keeping those rules and keeping those commands that they have added on to the rules and law and commands of Scripture, the more that they have risen in the ranks of leadership. And so the Pharisees, the Pharisees are are committed to making sure that the law is preached, committed to people might know the law, because the better that you know the law, the better that you can see that the Pharisees are the ones keeping the law, and so the more important they become. Pharisees, though, did believe, believe in the teachings of the Old Testament. They did believe that there was going to be a Messiah, that God would someday send a Messiah. They did believe in the resurrection. They did believe in spirits and those kinds of things. They just did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They did not believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead. They were opposed, the Pharisees were opposed to Jesus because of theological reasons. Jesus could not be the promised Messiah. And so the Pharisees, as Jesus would, would proclaim that he was the Son of God, as Jesus would teach and, and talk about, you, you, you've heard the Pharisees give this kind of rule, but I tell you, it's this kind of rule. He would talk about that, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. When he would call out the Pharisees and, and show their legalism, they became opposed to Jesus because of his theological underpinnings. That they were, they, were, they were afraid of what he was going to do to them theologically. So the Pharisees are the group that rises up and they are the group that leads Jesus' crucifixion. They are the ones that lead Jesus' trial. They are the ones that are pushing to have Jesus killed. They're opposed to Jesus. The Sadducees are an entirely different group. The Sadducees are an entirely different group. The Sadducees are not blue-collar, but they are blue-bloods. The Sadducees come from, from money. They are wealthy. They are powerful. And they want to centralize their power in their own group, and they will do whatever it takes to keep from losing control, to keep from losing power. The Pharisees, the Pharisees hate the Romans and hope for a Messiah to come that will overthrow Roman rule and that will come back to make the Jewish people great again. The Sadducees, the Sadducees have made an alliance of sorts with the Romans. And they are still, they they have control over their own people groups. The Sadducees are in control of the Jewish system, and they like that. And even though the cost is high for them, they like that they have control. They like the agreement that they have with the Roman people. So any talk of a Messiah, any uprising from a small group of people, that puts the Sadducees on guard. The Sadducees are opposed to the disciples because of political reasons. They don't want to lose control, and they don't want anything to come in and stir the pot. They have an uneasy agreement with the Romans, and so they want to stomp out anything that happens early on. And so while the Pharisees led the charge to get rid of Jesus, it's the Sadducees that are now leading the charge to get rid of the early church. Back to Acts chapter 4. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, the Sadducees now, come upon them. The Sadducees are greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And I didn't say this. Let me go back. The Pharisees, they do believe that there's going to be a Messiah. They do believe that there's going to be a resurrection. They do believe that there's spirits and, and those things. The Sadducees do not believe in all of those things. The Sadducees are much more... Uh, they're, they're, again, they're, they're political. They want to be in, in charge. And they, they do not believe that there's going to be uh, a, a Messiah that comes. They believe that, that uh, the Jewish people will rise up, ultimately. They believe that, that there is no resurrection from the dead. They're, they're the opposite of the Pharisees. And so, they're greatly annoyed, it says in verse 2. Because they were teaching and pre- the people and proclaiming that Jesus, in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And so, in verse 3, they arrested them. And they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. They arrested Peter and John. And I think, from what we read in this, I think they arrested the lame man who was there as well. The lame man was clinging to Peter and John during chapter 3. And... and a, And in just a little bit we'll see that the lame man is still there. And so it sounds like Peter and John and the lame man together are arrested, thrown in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4 says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and a number, and the number of men came to about five thousand. The number of men came to about five thousand. The church, the church has exploded. In just a few short weeks. If you remember, Jesus ascends into heaven. 120 people gathered together in the room waiting. And the Holy Spirit comes to those 120 people. They begin to share in different languages the gospel. And 3,000 come on that day to know Christ as their Savior. And now, here we have a new number, about 5,000. And this is just 5,000 men, it says. So we can assume... We know that women and children were probably included in those last numbers, and so we can assume that it's much more than 5,000 right now. 5,000 men have come to understand Jesus as the resurrected Messiah. Peter and John and probably the lame man are together in prison overnight waiting for their trial the next day. And one of the things that I've said to you throughout this our time together in this series is I don't, want you to, I don't want you to run through these stories thinking of them as story after story after story, especially as we work through these over, the, uh, over a course of weeks, over a course of months, we'll be working through the book of Acts. And so for us, it takes us weeks or months to get to that place. But, but Peter and John... Peter and John are having all of these things happen day after day after day after day. Jesus, Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, taught the disciples for about 40 days. And Pentecost was a set time. It was a festival that was already in the church calendar. That came 50 days after Passover. So we know that after Jesus was sent to heaven, that there was about 10 days before the Holy Spirit at Pentecost comes on the believer's. And we don't have an exact set time frame for these next stories, but we can assume that they're probably happening within days, within days of the last story, within days of Pentecost, certainly within just a few short weeks of that time. So really, Peter and John and the lame man, we assume, are in prison overnight, waiting for a trial, probably really just about, 60 or 70 days, two months really, after Jesus' trial. After Jesus was crucified. After Jesus was put on the cross. You can imagine, right? What they're thinking. You can imagine the feelings that they're having. They now have been thrown in jail just two months after seeing something similar happen to Jesus. Jesus? Arrested in the evening, put through a trial overnight, crucified in the middle of the day, the next day. Peter and John have to have those kinds of thoughts going through their minds. And as they sit in that cell, I'm sure that they talk about that. But I'm also sure that they're encouraging one another with the things that they have learned from Jesus. I'm sure that they're talking about the things that Jesus taught them through through Jesus' three-year ministry with Peter and John together. I'm sure, I'm sure that this passage came up in their time in prison that night. I want you to look. I want you to actually turn. It's not going to be on the screen too. But I want you to turn to Luke chapter 21. It's page 881 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. Remember, Luke is the author of Acts. Acts is just a carryover, a continuation of his gospel story. So we're we're not even changing authors, though this passage that I'm about to show you here in Luke chapter 21 is in all of the synoptic gospels. But in Luke chapter 21, we read this teaching of Jesus, which we don't know exactly how the disciples heard it at first, But I'm pretty sure I have a picture of how Peter and John reviewed it this night while they were overnight in prison. In Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 10, Jesus tells the disciples this. Then he says to them, Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before this, this is verse 12. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a head of your hair not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. It's almost as if the story of Acts chapter 4 shows up first in Luke chapter 21. You're going to be arrested, you're going to be thrown in jail. That's going to happen. But don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Just be strong knowing that I will give you the words to say and that even though you may perish, even though it's going to be hard, I will be with you. Peter and John, I'm sure, talked about that as they sat in prison overnight in Acts chapter four. On the next day, Acts chapter 4 verse 5 On the next day the rulers and the elders and the scribed gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were in the high priestly family And when they had finally set them in the midst they inquired Do you have the picture Sanhedrin is the court that Peter and John are going before their 71 members it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's more Sadducees than Pharisees in the court at this time. There's also the high priest Annas, who is actually not the high priest at this time, but but was the high priest. And even though he has been kicked out of the high priest role by the Romans, and Caiaphas has been put in, which is Annas' son-in-law, Annas is still respected by the Jews as the high priest and his entire family. Is there Annas' family? Caiaphas, his son-in-law, is the current high priest. He will have several other high priestly uh, leaders will come from his family in the future and in the coming years. And the Annas family is the leader of the church, the leader of the Jewish people. They're gathered there as well with all of the other Sadducees and Pharisees, and they're probably gathered in some sort of round. The leaders of the people, the Sadducees are the, the wealthy ones, remember? They are ready, gathered around looking down on these men whom in just a little bit we'll hear are are uneducated. You can see you can see the discrepancy between this court and Peter and John. The rulers and elders and scribes are all gathered together in Jerusalem. Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, all the high priestly family. And when they get them in their midst, they inquire, by what power or by what name did you do this? Whose authority did you have to do This healing. Whose name did you use yesterday when this man who had been lame from birth now is leaping and dancing? Whose name, what authority did you do this with? And then verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember Luke 21? I'll give you the words to speak. Peter now has, has been filled. He was filled back on Pentecost. And in fact, earlier in the Gospels, if you, if you look back in the Gospels, you'll see a couple of different places, even there, the, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. But now it, it appears that Peter has, has an even greater, an even bigger, different, additional filling of the Holy Spirit, that God gives him a special empowering in this exact moment so that he might proclaim the glory of God, so that he might proclaim well the name of Jesus. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 8, says to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, you get the picture? Peter says, if we're really going to be here on trial because this man who has been lame from birth now is standing beside us that he can walk and jump and leap, if we're really going to have a trial about that, let me give you an answer. By what means this man has been healed, he says in verse 9, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one that you crucified, but God raised from the dead. It's by him that this man is standing before you well. It's by his name. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. You're the ones who were in charge. You're the ones who are leading our people. This man was rejected By you, but now he has become the cornerstone. You kicked him out, you rejected him as a stone, but now he is the most important one. He is the one that everything else is going to be built around. Jesus is the cornerstone, and there is salvation for no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The rulers gathered around looking down on these men in their trial say, whose name, whose authority, what name did you use when you healed this man? Peter says, it was the name of Jesus. And then he says, and there's no other name. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Not only did I do it through Jesus' name, but he is the cornerstone. He is the only name that you need to know. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. In verse 13, now the teachers of the law, they see the boldness of Peter and John and they perceive that they are uneducated and common men and they are astonished. And they recognize that, that they had been with Jesus. I love that line. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. How? It doesn't tell us exactly how. But how did they recognize that they had been with Jesus? How is it that Peter and John so exude Jesus... That Luke would have to tell us that the teachers of the law are looking down. They hear the teaching of Peter. They hear his answer to their question and they recognize that they had been with Jesus. I don't know the answers to that. But I know that I would love someday to have that phrase used about me that they recognized that he had been with Jesus, that something in him was different than we had seen in anyone else. I think that's what they're saying. There was something about Peter and John. There was something about those early apostles. There was something about the training that they had gotten, that they had been with Jesus, and they were astonished. It says... They were astonished. Seeing the man who was healed standing right there beside them, they had nothing that they could say in opposition. The teachers, they're gathered there together. They're hoping, they're hoping to get rid of all of this whole scenario, but they have nothing that they can do. In fact, they kick Peter and John and the man out, the lame man out, and then they say, They confer with one another, saying in verse 16, What shall we do with these men? For that, a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants in Jerusalem. Everybody knows what's happened. There's no way around that. We cannot deny it. We cannot deny it. We can't pretend that it didn't happen. Verse 17, But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. And so they call them back and they charge them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Let me give you a picture real quick. We've already looked at it, but let me just rattle these things off. Here's some characteristics that we see in the early leaders. Here's some characteristics of people who are not filled with the Spirit, who do not have the boldness that Peter and John have, the early church has several characteristics that I want you to see in this story. The first, they have, they have unbelief. They just do not believe it. We saw it in verse 2. Um, they, they, John and Peter were proclaiming that Jesus is the resurrection from the dead, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not believe that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. We also see, not only did they have unbelief, but they were inconvenienced. They were greatly annoyed, it said earlier there. Get that picture? They were greatly annoyed that they had to deal with this, greatly annoyed that Peter and John were caught in the temple courts healing a lame man. They were inconvenienced by it. Verse 13 shows us that, that uh, they were afraid for their reputation. It says in verse 13 that they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they saw too that Peter and John were uneducated common men and yet they were astonished. They were afraid that people would see Peter and John, poor fishermen who had traveled the countryside with Jesus over these last months, these last years, that they would look at Peter and John and listen to their teachings and that they would think less of the leaders. So they were afraid for their reputation. In verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's tell them that they can speak no longer in his name. They were afraid for a loss of control. They were afraid that they were going to lose control, that people might rise up, and that their tenuous relationship with the Romans would get out of control. These are the characteristics of the early church. But starting in verse 19, we're going to see some, repu- some characteristics that are of Peter and John, characteristics of the early church, characteristics of those who are filled by the Spirit. But Peter and John answered them and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have already seen and heard and when they had further threatened when and when they had further threatened them the leaders had further threatened Peter and John the leaders then let them go finding no way to punish them because the people because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed it was more than 40 years old Peter and John Peter and John have to and the lame man have to be let go there would be a huge uprising. Everyone has already seen this. Everyone already knows exactly what's going on. And so, so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the rulers and the Sanhedrin, they think we'll threaten them a little bit and then we'll threaten them a little bit more. And if we do that, we'll keep them quiet. But Peter and John and the early church, they were not to be kept quiet. There's some characteristics that we see about Peter and John. First, they were centered on Jesus. They were centered on Jesus and only on Jesus. This is the third time that we've looked at at, at Peter's teaching or Peter's leading, Peter's speaking. And every single time, Peter's centered on Jesus. It's all about Jesus for them. They're committed. They're committed to what Jesus has taught them. They're committed to what they have seen. They're committed to what they have learned From Jesus. We see that in a couple of places in verse verse 13. um, they, They were recognized because they had been with Jesus. We see it in verse 20 when they say, We cannot, we cannot speak of anything but what we have seen and heard. We're committed to what Jesus has taught us. And then, as we move on to verse 24 or 23 we begin to see not just what Peter and John, how they responded, but how the early church responded as well. In verse 23, it says, when Peter and John were released and the layman, when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priest and the elder had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father, David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. The first thing that we see in their prayer here together is that these early believers these early church members peter and john with them lifted their voices together to god and said you are the one who is in charge of all of these things and they overflowed with worship towards god especially especially to his word especially to his word but centered centered on god and his word they overflowed with worship and then they recognized and rest in the sovereignty of God. They say, Truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand, talking about God, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your your servants to continue to speak your word, with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and the signs and the wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. We want your will to be done, we want your glory to ring out, we want the name of Jesus to be heard and seen in what we do and who we are. It's all about Jesus and that God is working all things together for his glory. The early church saw that, the early church knew that. The early church prayed about that. In fact, that's the last characteristic that we see. We see it in verse 31. And then when they had prayed, as they continued to worship and pray, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The early church was committed to praising God, to proclaiming that, to that being the overflow of who they were, to resting in his sovereignty, and to praying together. And they continued to see they continue to see signs and wonders they continue to see remarkable results in fact they continue in that exact moment to experience an earthquake exactly where they are as the spirit of god begins to show begins to show up there early proving proving that the church is following what he's calling them to do They were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they continued to speak the word of God with boldness, boldness. Several times in this passage, Peter and John, they were bold. Jesus had called them earlier to be bold and now the entire church filled with the Spirit, ready to go and to proclaim and to be bold. Next week, as we look at the end of chapter four and as we look at the beginnings of chapter five and some of the stories there, we are going to see we're going to see the church continue to grow and God to continue to show up in some miraculous and unexpected ways as the church grows in their boldness. The worship team is going to come this morning. We're going to sing together. My hope this morning for you is that as we look at those characteristics of both the leaders of the, er, of, of the church, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, compared against the characteristics of Peter in the early church, I hope maybe that that speaks to you. It did to me. Characteristics of the leaders, they were unbelief, inconvenience, fear of reputation, fear of loss of control. And yet, when Peter and John rested in the work of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit, they were centered on Jesus. They were committed to what they'd seen. They overflowed in worship. They trusted and the sovereignty of God, and they prayed together. I pray that that might be our response as well as we go and follow the example of the early church. Worship team is gonna lead us. We're going to sing as we close today. Please stand as we sing together. (laughs)
1: We'll worship the Lamb We'll forever worship the Lamb Restless is the world Unchanging is His Word Unshaken is our confidence
0: Pray today that you might give us a boldness. That God, you might help us to be bold in our declaration of your glory, of your fame. That you might give us a boldness in declaring the name of Jesus. It doesn't appear, at least today, God that the stakes are as high for us as they might have been for Peter and John on that day. And yet, God, I think the promise that you have given to Peter and John to give them boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus, you give to us as well. And so I pray that you might help us to rest in that, to hope in that, and to boldly proclaim our hope in him benediction comes from ephesians chapter 3 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen thank you for coming this morning